What's up? Y'all doing okay? Man, I was just thinking on the way here, it'd be awesome if we could get some more rain. I can I, I can tell like it's it's change it's changing some of you you know I spent some time in Seattle and I I know what those people look like and 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 they're not as happy as people in the South and some of you you're changing right you're changing some some <laughs> we got we got husbands and wives like like beating on each other and stuff down here in the front uh, oh that's funny oh man. So, uh, hey, don't let it get you down. Uh, the Lord is still good. And, uh, man, he's, he's, uh, he's being just incredibly good uh, to us right now. So, uh, thankful for that. Uh, and thankful that you're here. Um, I, uh, I wasn't going to do this. I'm going to do it. Um, if you don't mind, um, uh, my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are going through a lot. Um, I can't get into all of it. Uh, but uh, I'll probably share something on Facebook later or something. But uh, uh, I'm just asking if you would just pray for them. They're they're just going through a lot. They got a lot going on. Uh, for those of you that don't know, she has uh, she has a tumor uh, in her arm, uh, and uh, uh, they you know they've they own their own business and all that kind of stuff. They also homeschool, uh, and they have 11 kids. Uh, and so um, when that started to happen and all of that took place, and she's on medicine that kind of puts her to sleep, and she sleeps all day most days, um, you know, um, it just, it's, it's making things really hard, making it hard, hard for him to do the, the business, to make money, to take care of them, um, and, it, and it's put him in a situation. So I'm just asking if you would pray for him. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, if you don't mind doing that, that'd be, that'd be great. Thank you uh, for your willingness to do that. I, I know I'm kind of taking a liberty here that uh, I don't usually do to ask for something personally, but... Uh, uh, I, I feel it's worth it. They they love the Lord, and unfortunately, they're kind of like they just had like had a situation at one church they were at that kind of caused them to feel like God didn't want them to be there, and so they're like in, they don't have a church home right this minute uh, when all this kind of started to go down. So on top of everything else, that's kind of made things hard too. So uh, yeah, and they they don't live like really close to here. They live just close enough to like yeah we can go see them, but uh, uh, otherwise we would just make make them come here or something. So. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't work that way. So just just pray for him. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, if you got your Bible, let's go ahead and get it out. Um, and uh, let's let's go to the book of Mark together. Did you think you'd hear that today? Uh, let's go to the book of Mark together. Um, you know, I talked last week about how uh, you know the book of Mark is is kind of in two sections, and we talked about some of that stuff. And you know, uh, Jesus came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many, it's almost kind of like this break at the end of chapter 10, uh, you know, or almost at the end of chapter 10, leading us into this break of, you know, we've seen Jesus talking about serving others, whole first part of the deal, uh, whole first part of that chapter, and in the second part of the chapter, or, or the second part of the book, I should say, uh, he's going to he's he's talking about sacrifice. You've got the serving part, and then the ransom for many, the sacrifice, and and that you know we kind of see two themes in the book of Mark, and that's what we got. Uh, by the way, if you need a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They would love to bring you one. Uh, just throw your hand up and and let them get you one if you want to follow along. We're going to Mark chapter eleven uh, today. We'd love for you to keep that also. By the way, 
Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have that one and consider it a gift. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so, you know, Mark 11 uh, is kind of the beginning of the, the sacrifice, you know, part of this. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's the, everything kind of changes. I don't know. It, it, it's, 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 it's cool in some ways, and it's, uh, you know, I, I can't help but mourn it in part of the way, too, because uh, you realize from this point on, Jesus is, is on his way to his death. I mean, obviously, like, we're thankful for the death of Christ. We're thankful that the sacrifice that he made, uh, but, you know, we're going to get to kind of walk with him over the next, uh, you know, uh, just several weeks, couple of months, few months, whatever it takes for us to get through this thing. And, uh, and I, I think it's, it's going to be good for us just to be reminded of who Christ is and what he's done, uh, because I think we take for granted uh, you know, what Christ has done for us, and we don't spend a lot of time sometimes thinking about it like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, and I believe, and all this kind of stuff, and then we kind of, you know, it's, it's just, we don't mean to, like, water it down, but that's kind of what we do, uh, and so this, this passage is, uh, is, is one of these passages that's taking us in that direction, and so if you remember uh, last week, we had, uh, we had the guy that Jesus heals, and, it, and it's not just like some other, you know, miraculous miracle not just some other normal miraculous miracle uh, that Jesus did, but like there's so much to that stuff. If you missed last week, you can watch the thing or listen to the podcast or whatever. But uh, you know, in, in that passage, we see this guy Bartimaeus who comes to know the Lord and, and all this stuff. And Jesus was traveling through Jericho and coming out of Jericho, and he was on his way. He's starting on his trip to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus starting on his trip to Jerusalem like came with huge purpose. Like Jesus going to Jerusalem is Jesus like, okay, we're done doing all the missionary journeys now. I'm going to go die for you now. That's, that's Jesus going to Jerusalem. So at this point, again, that's why I said like the, you know, the passage right before uh, Bartimaeus being healed is the passage you know, I came, uh, where Jesus says, I came uh, not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You know, so th- again, you know, he's, he's like, He's already told him three times now, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead, all this stuff. And so he's like trying to prepare his guys, his disciples and everybody, hey, we're, this, is, this is where we're going. This is the direction this is happening. And so he's, he's, he's on toward Jerusalem. And so he's got to travel through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. And as he's coming out of Jericho, he runs into this guy, Bartimaeus, he's blind. And I mean, just crazy, awesome things happen. Uh, just amazing. This guy recognizes Jesus to be the savior of the world and all this stuff. And I mean, just, just an amazing thing. Well, then from here, from after Bartimaeus is now the journey to Jerusalem, okay? And this journey to Jerusalem includes going through a couple of towns, Bethpage, Bethany, you know, and all of this. And, and, and I think it's interesting just to, I mean, because again, if we just read this and you just read over and you kind of skimmed it, you'd be like, okay, Jesus is traveling, he's on his way, he's going to do thing, you know, and, and no big deal. I mean, even if you pulled out a modern day map, and you said, okay, here's Jericho, here's Bethpage, here's Bethany, here's Jerusalem, and you mapped it like we're going to go on like a ride or something, you know, uh, or hike or whatever. Uh, Jesus is, you know, what could be like 12 miles, probably more like 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And of course, we're on foot here, and so we're traveling, and not just, you know, not just Jesus, but like at this point, it's a whole entourage. It's the disciples. And it's all these people, including the guy he just healed of his sight. I mean, just, again, I can't stress enough, like, the passage from last week, if you missed it, you need to listen to it, okay? 
And, and, and so just an amazing thing is going on, and all these people are traveling with Jesus, and all these people that are believing in him to be the Savior that they've been looking for. Let me remind us for just one second, though, who that Savior is. And I think sometimes we make Jesus to be a Savior that we want him to be, and it's no different for them because for them at that point in time, they were looking for a political Savior. And we've talked about that a lot. If you've been around, if you haven't, I just got to throw it out there for those that haven't. You know, they're looking for a political savior. They're looking for somebody to like come in and to change the landscape for God's people to rule and to be rich and to have it their way for a change, right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the thought process with where a lot of the Jewish, a lot of God's people were. I mean, they're thinking about like, oh yeah, the Messiah's coming. We can't wait for the Messiah to come because when the Messiah comes, we're going to have a party, Right? And, and the truth is, it's not, it's not, I mean, Jesus came with a party, yeah, uh, but, but different kind of party. Not what they thought. Not this, not this king who's going to sit on a throne and tell everybody what to do and wield his power. You know, he, he, that's not who Jesus is. He didn't come to be served. He came, he, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many for our sin, for all of us, for anybody that would believe in him, he's the one who can take away our sin. He's the one that rights all the wrongs in our lives. That's nuts. That's crazy. But to do so, he has to give his life. And so at this point, as he's leaving Jericho and he's looking at this journey that's going to be, I'm going to tell you what, it's a long way home. It's not just 12 or 18 miles or whatever it is. It's a long way home. Let me kind of give you a couple of little things because, again, uh, we have no context. I mean, like, we're like, you know, we're going to walk to Nashville. What's that like, okay? Uh, let's, just, let's just look this and kind of see what this looks like. Jericho, Jericho is like the lowest city on the planet as far as, like, being elevation. It is 800 feet below sea level. 800 feet below sea level. I don't know that I'd want to live there. Especially this week, right? I don't know that I'd want to live there. 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem, okay, Jerusalem, where Jesus is going from Jericho to, is 3,000 feet above, almost 3,000 feet above sea level. So, Jesus isn't, he's not just making a trip. He's going uphill both ways in the snow. You know, I mean, not really in the snow, you know, it's a desert, but yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the situation. So like, I mean, Jesus has taken a hike and he's taken all these people with him. And Jesus is, I mean, and, and, and to be honest with you, Jesus and I and his entourage aren't the only people going to Jerusalem right now. Like all of these people, all of God's people, a lot of these people would travel to Jerusalem for Passover week. This is Passover week. This is that week. This is the week in which we are setting up that Jesus is going to die. Now they got together to celebrate Passover already. A lot of God's people would get together and celebrate Passover. And let me kind of, let me even just kind of like, let me just throw this in there. It's like, why, why, you know, they would celebrate Passover because it was like this liber, it was a celebration. Think about like national holiday. We got, you know, 4th of July, right? National holiday where we celebrate liberty, right? 
Fourth of July, you remember what was signed? You know, important things. Nicholas Cage saves them and all that, right? Not night at the museum, okay? Uh, and, and so, you know, but yeah, and so all of this, all of this is happening. And, and the reason that they celebrated Passover was it was this liberation from Egyptian slavery from God, for God's people to be liberated, to be freed, and all this kind of thing. And so, to set the stage, I mean, this is nuts because, I mean, like, it's, first of all, Jesus has timed every bit of this. Every bit of this he's timed. I mean, they've gone from place to place to place to place and bounced around and seen all these people and, you know, even stopped and hung out with Bartimaeus and healed him and had all that, you know. I mean, just all of these little things that have happened along the way, and it's all part of the perfect, perfect timetable to which Jesus has them entering into Jerusalem on the week of Passover. On the week of Passover, when all these when all these people of God's people are going to be gathered together to, to be you know celebrating and oh we're gonna you know let's shoot off fireworks you know maybe not but we'd like to think so right and they're getting together and they're partying and they're thanking God for what He's done and setting their ancestors free hundreds of years before. And at the same time, they're thinking politically about this Messiah to come. Because word has it that this Passover might be the one that's different from all the others. That this might be the one that the chosen one, the one who's been told to be coming all of this time, oh, he, he's, he's, he might be coming to town. In fact, we're starting to get word from people that are coming from the entourage ahead of them by even probably a few days ahead of them, hey, guess what? The God Jesus, everybody's been waiting on. He's coming here. He's going to be here for Passover. Like, get out the big fireworks, okay? Like, go down there and ask Bubba at the fireworks saying, what's the biggest thing you got on the table back there? Let's look at it. Not that any of you have ever done that. And the truth is, is that they were hoping, much like they, that their ancestors had been liberated from the Egyptian people at one point in time, that they would now themselves be liberated from the Roman Empire. And they would have a freedom, and they would get to take over the government, and they would get to have it their way. The trip wasn't just uphill, at that point in time, again, if you looked at a modern-day map, you could draw a straight line and go, uh, no, nah, Jesus didn't go into Bethpage and then Bethany. I mean, that, that's backwards or whatever if you look at a map today. But he did because that's the way the roads worked. Ancient Roman roads, at that point in time, that's the way it went. So it was the long way home. And it says this in Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied to which 
no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. So Jesus has some of the disciples go into town ahead of them to get this colt. It's the foal of a donkey, okay? And uh, the Greek words interchange on, on those things. And, and we have in Matthew, actually, we, and, other, and other gospels, we have specifically that it's a donkey. Probably a young donkey. And at that point in time, it was commonplace that a king, when he would make an entrance, talking about king kings here, okay, you know, scepters and crowns, and, you know, King Edward and all those guys. And uh, we've got this picture of that kings would enter into a place, a lot of times riding uh, a donkey. Later on, it would change. It would be a war horse. You know, it would be, you know, here comes the king, and he's on... And, and big thing was like, you know, the king wouldn't just ride any animal. He would ride an animal that had never been ridden, which could be a little problematic because I don't know when the last time is that you jumped on an animal that hasn't been ridden before. You know, usually they have to be trained for this, okay? Jesus sends them into town, says, bring back this colt, this donkey. And they're, I mean, they're, they don't really probably completely know and understand what's going on here, but that he's going to ride this thing into town. Passover week. Passover week. Everybody's there. Big party. Lots going on. Tons of people. Well, it's, it's not just symbolizing that Jesus is making this statement, I am the king, It's not just that. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also fulfilling a prophecy. It fulfills two prophecies, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'm going to skip one and share one. Uh, One of them is Genesis 49. You can go check that out later on on your own. Uh, The other one is Zechariah 9.9, and I want to read that to you. And it says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Now this is, again, this is Old Testament before Jesus is around, okay? This is a prophecy. This is a telling of the future without a DeLorean. Behold. Are you guys that dead this morning? Come on. Back to the future, Rick. Behold, your king is coming to you, it says, Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is this coming to fruition in this moment. Like, you, you got to understand something. I know that, like, for a lot of us, you and I, we might not be so familiar with. Scripture that we're like, oh yeah, Zechariah nine, yeah, I know that, yeah, it's, you know, and some of us are like Chris, if you hadn't shared that with me, I wouldn't have had a clue. Let me tell you what, God's people at this time, 
They knew. They knew. They knew and they were waiting. They were waiting to see this happen. They weren't wondering if it would happen. They knew it would happen. They knew that God would come through. They knew that this, they knew that this would happen the way it's going to happen. And so guess what? When Jesus comes riding into, into town on this little young colt donkey, the whole point is that he's fulfilling something that has been told for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Now, unfortunately, they, I say unfortunately, I mean, it, it works out in the end for them, but unfortunately, they, they kind of don't really understand the salvation that, that, that's coming for them. They, they think the salvation that's coming for them is like, oh, awesome, God's coming to do a thing again, just like he did for our ancestors when he freed them from the Egyptians. He's coming to free us from the Romans, and we're going to have it made here comes the Messiah, here comes the donkey, set off the fireworks, let's go. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a king's entrance. And even in this, even in this, because really you could argue that at this time kings were already starting to do the war horse thing. I really believe that part of this is we see Jesus coming, riding an animal of humility. He's not the king they thought. In fact, he's not the king they thought, and if, and if we were to go back and interview them in this very moment, he's not the king they wanted. And it's no wonder that by a week from now, in this chain of scripture that we're going to be going through over for the next little while, that he would be dead and have already risen again. He'd come into town riding on a donkey and quickly they would figure out he's not the king that we wanted. He's not the king. He's not, he's not the guy that I voted for. You know, you ever feel that way? Whatever happened to that guy? I was going to vote for this guy because he said this, and then this happened. What's that? Where'd that come from? That's not who he said he would be, right? Humility. He was a humble king. And in verse 7, it says this. It says, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And in verse 8, we jump right into them going into town. And here comes Jesus with the entrance of all time. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about this cloaks thing real quick. I know we don't think a whole lot about cloaks, okay? Because not big cloak wearers these days, not in this year. Um, but in general, this was their... Outer garments, their outer clothing, what helped, you know, what they, they, they probably you used it for more than just like keeping you warm and stuff like that. It was to keep the sun off of you. It was to use to lay down on, blanket, you know, all this kind of thing too. I mean, there's a lot to this, but, you know, I mean, you valued your cloak. I mean, this wasn't something you just like, you know, haphazardly just threw around and like, hey, let's throw, the, let's throw our cloaks down in the, in the dirty streets. I mean, that's just not something you did. 
And when they throw their cloaks down in front of Jesus on the road, I'm telling you, this is something you didn't even just do for your friend who was coming into town like, oh, I'm so excited. I haven't seen my friend in a long time. No, they are humbling themselves to a king. And they are worshiping him. This was, this was something that was only done for royalty. Not me. Please don't throw any cloaks down for me. If you do, I will laugh, though, especially today in the rain. This was for kings, and it was a submission to Jesus saying, you are the king. So think about this for just a second with me, okay? Think about this for just a second. Like, let's say you're the, like, political king at that time, and you're, like, in the government at that time, and you start hearing about this. Like, word travels fast. It's Jerusalem, okay? Word travels fast, and not only does it travel fast, it's traveling with news that I'm not sure that I want to hear if I'm into politics at that moment of the day All of a sudden, there's somebody else that might come in here and say he's king. He rode into town on what? He did what? The people did what? They laid their cloaks down. They laid the palm branches down. Again, not just something that you just did. This was a big deal. This was was saying there are large groups of people that believe that this guy is the king, which means they don't believe that you are the king if you're the king. or that your boss is, or whoever, you know, that's writing your check if you're in the government thing. So guess what? I mean, real quick, the plot is thickening. Real quick, the plot is thickening. The palm branches thing, let's talk about that for a second. Historically speaking, there's a little nugget of joy for you. About 150 to 200 years before this happened, we have a king at the time who overthrew the government to free the people at that point in time too. And he was, he was widely thought of as being a great guy, awesome dude, saved the day, all this kind of thing. You're like, okay, what's the big deal? Well, one of the things that happened when that happened is when he, when he made his entrance is they laid down the palm branches for him. So historically speaking, we're talking about something that has already happened in history, and they are now doing it again for Jesus. Again, not to the the satisfaction of 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 the government of the day, but that's what's happening. And the reason that I bring that up and I throw that in there is because, again, this is showing that the people are looking for a second revolt. They're looking for, and by the way, that name, that name, uh, that guy's name was uh, Judas Maccabees or Simon Maccabees, depending upon where you see him written about in history. And so they're looking for Maccabees Revolt Number Two. Like this guy, Jesus, he's coming. He's the King. He's the Messiah. He's come to save the day. Let's 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 get it all going on. Let's throw down the cloaks. Let's put down the palm branches. They're communicating. We believe in you to be our guy to do what needs to be done. Because they're still thinking politically, but they're at least saying, fight the power. Verse 9, it says this, And those who went before 
And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're screaming Hosanna over and over and over. I'll read it again for those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a reference to Psalm uh, 118.26. Taken straight out of Scripture, they are praising Jesus using God's Word. Hosanna, you, you guys have heard the word Hosanna. We've sang the word Hosanna. What's it mean? What's it really mean? It means save me. Means save me. Oh, save. They're recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. They're recognizing him as the Savior, and they're recognizing him as the Lord. They just don't really know what those words really mean yet. Because in their heads, they're like, oh, okay, he's, you know, he's coming from the, it's, it's, he's the one, lineage of David, son of David's gonna be the Lord, you know, all this kind of stuff. But they're still equating him with being nothing but a man like David, who ruled on a throne. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is God. He came to do what nobody else could do. He lived the perfect life, making him the perfect sacrifice. His life for a ransom for many, for those who would believe, for those who would trust. And so it's no wonder, you know, as they're, as they're just trying to even get an inkling of what Jesus is about and who he's going to be and, you know, largely political, but there's a few people in there that understand. There's a few people that get that this is more than the politics of the day. And for them, as they're screaming, Hosanna, they realize that they need Jesus for more than just political action. They realize that they need Jesus to save them. Bartimaeus, I think Bartimaeus got it. I think he, I think he figured it out. I think he figured out this isn't just a political move. This is a movement of God. God's up to something, and, and, and I need him to save me. Hosanna, save me. Hosanna, save me. Save me. Save me. The next time you get a chance to sing Hosanna, if you believe that you need God to save you as much as the day that you first knew him, or maybe today's the first day that you recognize that you need God to save you through Jesus, then I, I recommend shouting it to him. Hosanna, save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, 26. Verse 11. It's the last verse of this passage that we're studying. Big buildup right here, right? Big buildup. Surely it wouldn't end in a buzzkill. 
Verse 11. Foreshadowing right there. It's not really, but we'll get there. Verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's it. Nighty night. So <laughs> Jesus gets there, huge entrance, march through town, parade, palm branches, second revolt, cloaks getting nasty, and Jesus just goes to the temple and steps in and looks around and leaves? What? What? I want to read you something. Debated not to read this. Debated whether not to read this. It's just way too good. I, I don't like putting things in my own words if I can help it. And sometimes I think it's just better to hear it from the person it came from. A pastor by the name of R.C. Sproul, uh, who I study on some of his stuff when I am studying. Uh, I study a lot of different guys, usually no less than four uh, a week uh, when I'm working on a message uh, because I'm an idiot and I need help. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to admit it, um, and I always try to give credit where credit is due, and you're always welcome to ask if I, you ever hear something, hey, where did you get that from, a fact, whatever, you know, please come ask me. I try to reference. I don't always do that because it would take forever, and I'd be doing it every five seconds because, again, I'm stupid and I need help. Um, but R.C. Sproul says this about this particular thing. Again, it feels a bit like a buzzkill, doesn't it? Like Jesus has done all, you know, he's entered into town and this amazing thing has happened and then he gets to the temple and he's like, all right, let's go. And then they leave. R.C. Sproul shares this and again, just hang in here with me. Um, the return of God's glory, he puts it uh, at the top. Jesus' triumphal entry, talking about Jesus coming to town, began at Bethany a little village at the top of Mount of Olives. It looks out across the Cadron Valley down to the city of Jerusalem, 300 feet below. So they go to the Mount of Olives, which is this pretty amazing thing in of itself because the Mount of Olives is like the first place where like, you would have traveled from Jericho up to, uh, to get to Jerusalem. You'd go to, through the Mount of, uh, to the Mount of Olives first and then down to Jerusalem, okay? And the Mount of Olives was like, if you were on that journey, even if you did that journey every day or something, I mean, if you were on that journey, like to get to that place would have been like this huge thing. It was like, finally, we've seen our, it's, we're here, kids, our exit. You know, it's that kind of a feeling. Like you've been on this long journey and we're like, we finally know that we're like, we're we're almost home kind of thing. And it's like the first sign of vegetation. Because again, this is the desert Okay, and so the Mount of Olives, no matter if you'd seen it, you know, one time or 10,000 times, like every time you saw that on that journey, you're like, man, I am glad to see that place, you know. And so here, here you are, Mount of Olives, okay, and it says, Mount of Olives, it looks across the Kedron Valley, down to the city of Jerusalem, 300 feet below, because it goes up and then it goes back down to get to Jerusalem. There is, a, there is special significance to that. In 586 B.C., at the time of Jerusalem's destruction and the forced exile of the people to Babylon, God gave a vision to the prophet Ezekiel. And in that vision, Ezekiel saw the glory of God rise up from the temple in Jerusalem, okay? 
the glory departed from the east side of the city and ascended 300 feet to rest on the Mount of Olives. Check it out, Ezekiel 11.23. This is now R.C. Sproul talking personally, okay? He says, when I was in Jerusalem, this is why there's no reason me trying to describe this because it's a personal story. When I was in Jerusalem, I stayed on the Mount of Olives at a hotel overlooking the holy city. One night while I was standing on the patio of the hotel, I looked down across the Kidron Valley and saw the illuminated walls of Jerusalem, and I remembered that vision of Ezekiel in my mind's eye. I imagined the glory of God departing from the temple, coming from the east gate, then rising up to where I was on the Mount of Olives and settling there. Hold that thought for a moment. After Mark describes the triumphal entry, he tells us Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple, so when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Mark's conclusion of this episode appears anticlimactic at first. I'm not the only one that thinks so. Thank you, R.C., It looks as though Jesus got into Jerusalem, went to the temple, looked around, and went back to Bethany as if nothing significant had taken place. However, we need to remember that Jesus, uh, where Jesus was. Earlier, he had set his face like a flint, Isaiah 57, to go to Jerusalem knowing that he would suffer and die there. But Jerusalem was not his ultimate destination. Rather, it was the temple. When he went into Jerusalem and then into the temple, he looked around at the place where historically the sacrifices were offered. He went to the temple that had replaced the tabernacle, which was a living prophecy of who the Messiah was to come. John's gospel says, tells us this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 and 14. The phrase that is translated dwelt among us literally reads tabernacled, verb here, tabernacled among us. That is because Jesus fulfilled everything the tabernacle pointed to. He is the sanctuary. When he said destroy the temple in three days and I will will raise it up, John 2, 19, He was speaking of himself. Here is the supreme irony. In 586, now we're going back to Ezekiel. In 586, Ezekiel saw the glory of God leave the temple, leave the holy city, and ascend to Bethany onto the Mount of Olives at the triumphal entry, entry, the one whom the the scriptures define as the brightness of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3, descended from Bethany and the Mount of Olives entered the east gate of the holy city and went to the temple, do you see it? In 586, the glory of God left the temple, but when Jesus came, the glory of God came back. Yet no one understood that the king of glory was in their midst, about to meet the destiny to which he was called and for which he was born. We have just glimpses of who God is, don't we? I think, I think to myself sometimes, like, 
We've got His Word. We've got, obviously, we have all this that God wants us to see of who He is and wants us to know of who He is. But I am so quickly reminded in moments like this when I'm almost just ready to dismiss a verse and go, what in the world, Jesus? Why didn't you just like bust a move or something while you were in there and like do a head spin or something? You just give us something, you know? And instead you walked in right after this big thing and then you just turned around and you went to go to bed. The glory of God was coming back to the temple. I mean, I, I, just, I just have to imagine that even the people that didn't know what was going on that week, as this all began to happen, that they probably felt something happening in the air. They felt the movement of God. I believe it with all my heart. They knew something, they knew something was stirring. The, polit- the political people are freaking out. They're freaking out and they're like, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta put a stop to this. We gotta get ready to kill this guy. And Jesus is going, that's why I'm here. They were looking for liberation from the Roman people, Roman Empire, but the truth is, is the liberation that Jesus would bring would be from Satan, sin, and death. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Sometimes it takes a lot to get home, doesn't it? I was at my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's last night. They live up near Portland, that area, kind of way out, sticks and stuff. Not really in sticks, but whatever. It sounds better to say it that way. They're probably saying the same thing about us, right? <laughs> and uh, I stopped to get gas as I was getting back on the interstate. My head's kind of thinking about this morning and what I'm doing and all this kind of stuff. And the radio's cranked, and I actually had this thought of, like, how crazy it is that, like, I can worship Jesus, listen to rock and roll at the same time, and I don't know, it's crazy, weird stuff that happens in my head when I'm driving. And uh, I stop and getting gas, and uh, I get out, and it's kind of cool outside, so I get the pump going, and I get back in my car. And then, I mean, probably not back in my car more than five or ten seconds. And all of a sudden, somebody's tapping on my window. And I'm like, oh, no. Here we go. And um, I look up, and it's this guy. And he's pretty nicely dressed. And um, he's a 62-year-old man. And I know that because he told me. Uh, Not because I'm that good. Although we can play that game if you want to, but you may not be happy with the results. And uh, he taps on the window, and, uh, and he kind of taps, and he kind of backs up a little bit. And I, I kind of roll my window down for just a second, and <laughs> I, guess, I guess I was scary looking last night or something. I don't know, because he said, hey, uh, hey, hey, partner, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not mean anything bad. I mean, you're a big old guy, and I, you know, and I don't want to, and I was like... <laughs> We're starting the conversation off with this. Like this is the, this is your best entry to like getting to know me right now. And so I roll the window down, and he he says, uh, "Look, uh, I can't even believe I'm asking this right now." He's like, "But uh, 
Uh, I, I'm from Texas, and I've got my family with me, and my mom died. And we have been traveling to get to the funeral and pay for the funeral. And he said, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, uh, I'm broke. He said, we weren't ready for this to happen. He said, I've just spent all the money I have. He said, I've got a good job, and he names off the place he works for and stuff, you know. And he said, I, I never thought at 62 years old that I would be standing out here at a gas station in Kentucky. He had his states wrong. Um, and uh, he said, uh, asking somebody for money. He said, but I'll be honest with you, I'm desperate. He said, uh, my pastor and somebody else that he mentioned, maybe his boss, had, had given him some money, collected up some money, given it to him to help pay for the funeral and help to get them there. His car had blown up on the way. He's got a brother that's somewhere south of Nashville that given him another car to get him to West Virginia. And he told him, he said, man, just keep that car. It was an older Suburban or something. He said, man, you can't just give me a car. He said, yeah, we don't drive anymore. We got a different car. He said, but it looks like a nice car. He said, why'd you get rid of it? He said, you'll find out. You know, get on the road and put gas in it and you'll see. So, long story short, he's standing here. He said, man, I, I've been praying. He, he doesn't know me from, except that he's apparently scared of me. Um, he doesn't know me from anybody. And he says, I've just, I've been praying that God would just help us to get home. He said, and I've got my wife, my daughter, and I can see them in the car. He said, and I, I just, I guess I'm asking for money, and I can't believe I'm having to do this right now. And he said, I've just been praying and praying. I mean, he just, I just, the longer I stayed silent, this is a great counseling thing, by the way, the longer I stayed silent, the more he just kept running off the mouth. So I just kept listening. He said, you know, I've, I've uh, been telling my wife, you know, I've been, I, you know, I've been praying. I've been praying that God will take care of us, and, and I just don't, you know, and, and, and nothing's happening. I'm kind of starting to doubt. I, I don't know. I, you don't want to hear about all that. I know, you know, and everything, and I just, I just kind of like stopped him. I said, tell you what, let me, uh, let me look and see what I got. And I rolled my window up, and I got my wallet out, and I got some money out. I got out of the car, and I handed it to him. He just started crying. He said, man, you have no idea what this does for us. You have no idea in this moment right now. He said, the Lord has put you here right now. And I just looked at him and said, I know. I said, you don't have to be scared of me. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he just cried and hugged me, and we hugged, two, two grown men, one scary looking, one 62 years old, nice looking clothes, out here hugging at a gas station, right down the street from Sad Sam's Fireworks, if you need any. You know where I'm at now. And uh, we stand out there for a minute, and he just begins to tell me how he'd been losing his faith, but he knew that the Lord, you know, said just go and that he'd take care of him. I just looked at him at one point. I just said, man, I said, look, I said, you already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Lord doesn't bring you to it not to bring you through it. I said, you'll be okay. You guys get home. They were on their way back home. And I'm just reminded that, you know, what Jesus has done for us in the long journey to get to I mean, at any point, Jesus could go, I, I, don't, 
don't feel like walking through all those towns. I don't feel like walking up a hill. Go get me a donkey now. And instead he walked. And he walked and he walked and he walked and he walked until he was supposed to ride the donkey to come into town to solidify that he is the king. And today, in our lives, we might be somewhere on that long journey trying to figure out how we're going to get home. Let me, let me, just, let me just remind you of something. He's still the king. And he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to show us what sacrifice looks like. And for us, sacrifice is a real thing for us too, and it'll be a part of our lives. And sometimes we take the long way home, but I'll promise you this, Jesus is waiting. He's always waiting. And I don't know where you are in the journey today, but he's waiting. And if you've never trusted in him to be your savior, one day in your life you can today because he's still waiting. He's waiting on you because he loves you and he gave his life for you on that cross. Would you trust in him today to be your savior? For those of us that are believers today, may we just be reminded that we can trust in who he is and everything that he said to us said that he would do, that he's doing it, and on top of that, that he's given us a mission to go out there and be light on his behalf that we can help others on their way. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have a plan. <laughs> because we know if it was up to us, we would jack it up. God, thank you for constantly reminding us in small ways that you have a plan. And God, I pray that we'd just be faithful in trying to follow you through it. Lord, help us this morning, Lord, to be the people you've called us to be, to recognize you for who you are, the Lord, the King, the one who's supposed to ride in on the donkey. God, help us us be reminded that you humbled yourself and gave your life on our behalf. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. God, I pray for anybody that hasn't trusted in you this morning. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. God, save them as you have saved many of us. And may we never forget the gift that you have given us in this life through our salvation, through your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.